0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by
1: Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe.
2: Hello and welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today
0: it's just the two of us. We are taking listener questions, we are reading iTunes reviews, and we are chatting about the state of our directing careers in March of 2018.
2: We've got plenty to catch up on, some great questions, some great iTunes reviews. It's going to be another classic Matt and Oren episode. I can't wait. Um, But before we get into all those questions, Oren... I genuinely don't even know what have you been working on lately? I uh, am pitching
0: on this new commercial. It's for Dr. Pepper. So what's interesting is I had the call today with a client and, or by the client, I mean the agency. So, I mean, we all, we've, anyone that's listened to our commercials episode or anyone that has directed commercials knows that, uh, you know, a bunch of reels are submitted. They get, then you get on a short list of usually three directors. So I'm on the short list for this project going to be me versus two other directors so what's interesting is well one of the companies that we're up against has made this like really cool viral video about um advertising Hmm. (laughs) and about how directors should act on a set when they're working on commercials and it's five minutes long by the way which is significantly longer than my reel which you have told me it was much too long. And it's pretty much about the same thing (laughs) as this viral video is. Well, if you go viral, then I can eat my hat. You know, it's kind of intimidating because you see these other companies or directors you're up against. and, And we've talked about this before, like whether it's good to know who you're up against or not, because when you do know, you try a lot to differentiate yourself from them. Right. You know what
2: I mean? Yeah, totally. It does affect the way you pitch yourself in one way or another. For better or for worse.
0: Yeah. Like one time a producer shared a different treatment that I was up against with me for a job. And I noticed that the other treatment, the other director had used the identical cover image that I used. Oh, yeah. And because I had seen his treatment, but he hadn't seen my treatment, I felt like I needed to change my cover image because I knew that if the client sees three treatments and two of them have the same image, that, they'll choose the third that's one. That's just right? that's
2: human nature. Yeah, definitely or even even if um one with the identical image is really great and one with the identical image is worse i think they get kind of averaged together right like which one was whose yeah. yeah yeah that that i i don't think it's as black and white as like oh they both got the same cover image throw them out they're human beings so they'll be like oh this is <laughs> right. funny what a funny coincidence but it does inevitably color your interpretation of it a little bit right
0: so i know that these companies i'm pitching against i know one company is kind of like a little broy. you know it's like these a bunch of these guys that are really fun you know they're all like kind of their own dps and camera operators and they go around like you know kind of playing pranks on each other and being ridiculous and they're all kind of like handsome like 29 year old guys Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. that Each one of them is like
2: holding a movie and skating on a skateboard. Yeah, they're doing a backflip. Like they they've got an Osmo selfie that they're doing a backflip into a you know reservoir or something.
0: Right, but they're also shooting everything on Alexa, and it's all like anamorphic Mm -hmm. and beautiful, and like they're in Oregon, so it's like nature galore. It's not just like the crap that we have here in LA to shoot. I feel
2: like you're you're pointing out a thing that I hadn't put my finger on, but there is the advent of like the bro auteur. The bro tour. The bro yeah. tour. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> Kaplan, that's an alley-oop right there. Um, yeah, we've always had skateboard videos. We've always had, like, action like videos. Spike Jones are, yeah. like, the weird, cool people. Yeah, yeah, totally. And Spike is, like, he was, a, he was so revolutionary because he was half, like, action sports dude and then half nerdy artsy guy. And so it was this weird melding. But we've always had people who were doing like adventure videos or action sports videos. But like now I think because of the democratization of like technology a little bit and like jobs getting spread out, you get like your Devin super tramps of the world who are kind of like bro. Yeah. Bro filmmakers, bro tours. Um, yeah. And what sucks is like, I mean, I don't know if anyone listening to
0: this podcast knows that I got a drone, but all the best drone operators are, Total bros. They all like, I'm in New Zealand. It's fucking crazy. We just climbed up this mountain. We lost
2: our first drone, and we're gonna jump off this cliff. You know what though? Uh, It makes me understand bros better. Like getting stoked over (laughs) a drone shot. I'm down for. You know what I mean? Like I can't like, you know, do a keg stand or like care about football no matter how hard I try. But I am fucking stoked as shit on like. That sick aerial move you pulled off. Right. Do you know what that I mean? That 4K video reframe. I do get yeah, stoked like on it. Dude Perfect. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know yeah Dude Perfect. Yeah, they're like trick shot dudes.
0: Yeah, but their videos are freaking they're awesome. good for what they they're are. They're so you know? good. Yeah, totally. And they're like the fifth most subscribed to channel on YouTube as well, which is insane. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I'm basically, I, I could be a bro. I mean, I wear flannel shirts and I used to skate or whatever, but for this... For this video, I'm, like, pitching myself as, like, gamer, the gamer mm-hmm. guy. Because it's kind of, mm-hmm. there's some gamer-related aspects to it. And so, I want to be, like, I know gamers I'm way more than these, like, jock jocks do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Even though those so we'll jocks see. could probably, like, kick your ass at Madden or something. You know what? I have a sentence in my treatment that is, like a bold line that says, I'm a gamer, period. And then the next line is like, I'm not talking about playing Madden with like my college buds, Mm -hmm. period. I'm talking about being a part of a 30-person alliance that (laughs) has bi-weekly wars against other alliances. Yeah, yeah. Alliance or guild? I guess it's it's alliance in your game. We're not an RPG. Sure. Maybe that's where guilds come in. I think that's Um, correct. Anyway, so it's like, you know, as the director, you're trying to pitch a personality. And when you see that the people you're up against have like, a ton of personality and seem like just like the best dudes to be on set with or the best girls to be on set with or whoever, you know, it's like, you're just trying to find your niche. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I'm pitching on that. But so the general manager at the company I'm with, my production company, sent me an email before the call and he said, Hey, just so you know, um, I'm not going to be on the call, but here's some things, you know, you should ask a lot of questions and be excited. And he kind of like gave me a little pep talk about the call. And he said at the end of the call, Ask them if they ask them what you should focus on for your treatment, and I was like, okay, well, that's like the most obvious question ever, but I I've never asked it before, Uh, and I did ask it on the call, and it was, it was such a good question because it flips the whole Mm. thing on them, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's basic. It's basically asking them like, hey, what do I need to
2: show you to get this job? And it 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 sets you up for success you know how to deliver for them and kind of makes them verbalize and maybe even realize for the first time in certain circumstances what they're actually looking for you know i i don't know i've never asked that question before um dude i will from from now on i don't know i think it's really brilliant i think that's um uh, an incredible piece of advice uh so you're welcome everyone Send 10% to just shoot at pod at gmail.com and <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll pay our editors more. That'd be great. Sh- shout sure. out to Jay and Chris. And so what
0: was interesting about their answer is first of all, they weren't fully aligned with each other on like what mm-hmm. they cared about. And, but it gave me an insight as to what the creative director cares about. The, the art director, the creative lead, the producer, I got really their insight also about what the client cares about. And then, The other thing they told me is that they don't want me to just regurgitate what they wrote in their Mm. material and what we talked about on the call. They said a lot of directors write treatments where they're just basically saying the things that we already told them Mm -hmm. we want. Um, And it's funny because some clients do want that. Like a lot of producers I've worked with are like, this is what they said on the phone. So so this is what you should write.
2: You know, it's funny. I will be curious to find out. I think Every producer doesn't think they want their take regurgitated back to them, but look, we were all seniors in high school English class. I remember my English teacher didn't. She said she didn't want us to regurgitate what she said, but she wanted us to. But she, she wanted us to regurgitate what she said.
0: I think there's a huge difference in that. Like a high school English teacher needs to grade thirty essays. And so he or she is looking for very specific things Mm -hmm. included in that Mm -hmm. essay. Whereas these people are reading three treatments and they want, they want you to show them that you understand the tone, that you understand the pacing, you understand the piece, but that you're going to bring new things to it Mm. because they're already, they've already gotten kind of bored with the idea. Yeah. I,
2: I think that really the answer is that you have to plus it a little bit. Like you have to make their idea a little bit better. So that doesn't mean you can't take it in a totally different direction, obviously, So there is inherently some recontextualization of the creative as they presented it to you. But it's your job to make it a little bit better, basically.
0: So what I'm writing on, I'm still working on my treatment, but what I'm going to write on the first page is something to the effect of, you know, the, the call was awesome. And I loved what you said about not regurgitating what you guys have told me. But I did want to say that these are the things that resonated. Yeah, there you go. That's no. good. One, two, three. Like bullet points. Boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom. This is what I'm focusing on. These are 15 second spots, by the yeah, way. Sure. I'm sure most of our listeners know this, but I am literally going to send them a 25 page document about how I'm going to shoot a 15 second commercial, four seconds of which is an end card. Yeah,
2: it will take 4,000 times to go through your document than it will take to consume the media you were going to create yeah it's it's ridiculous
0: um so yeah so i'm doing that i'm trying to shoot some spec stuff with my production company uh again just trying to make the type of work that i want to get jobs doing uh and then i'm also developing a few things with some people my manager jacob a lot of people i've sure. heard talk he's kind of set me up with a few on a few general meetings oh that's so, good i don't know it's kind Of development time and in between that commercial stuff, so yeah, I don't know. I think things are good, things are things do seem to be picking up. You and I talked about this a month ago when we were when I was a little bit stressed out about how slow work was in January. And you keep a list of all of the invoices you send, mm-hmm. right? You have like an invoice oh, yeah. system, yeah. In this Excel's is worth bringing up,
2: yeah. I have a uh a list of every invoice i send and even if it's not a job that's necessarily invoiced just kind of like a spreadsheet of like uh the client the the name of the job when we shot it when i was first reached out to and whether or not it's been paid out basically so it's like a little tracking document just to keep track of uh where i am job wise throughout the year and h- how close right. i am. like any freelancer yeah. Yeah. Do. But but it's I think the difference between maybe you and I is that functionally I think they they are different even though they look the same. Mine was much more motivational and like goal oriented and then also happened to track invoices and stuff like that. Where your list was initially just straight up like invoices have they been paid or not
0: right and if i didn't invoice for a job or if it was a w-2 job or you know on a payroll thing then it wouldn't be in my invoice list yeah mine was a little more vision
2: boardy than that i guess is what i'm saying
0: right which i found fascinating because you basically keep track pretty well of every project you do for the year and then when it's january 30th and you haven't gotten a job yet and you're stressing the hell out you go back to your list and you're like well last year my first job was february 16th and And I got like 10 jobs in a row. Uh, And so it's almost like a comfort, like it lets you see how you are versus last year. And it also reminds you probably when you go
2: through your list and you're like, Oh, I should reach Mm -hmm. out to this producer. They, yeah, they might be a good fit. Yeah. It's a really great little document to have. Um, It doesn't take a ton of work to, to keep track of. It's got a lot of very practical uses and also, yeah, exactly right. It helps you remember, um, the pace of your year because it's easy to get a little stressed out when the phone doesn't ring as soon as you want it to um, and also i think i have it's been helpful in noticing trends like my the number of jobs i've had since i went full time has gotten smaller every year but the overall amount of money i've made has gone up every year that to me especially when you look down into the more anecdotal evidence it just shows like a, a level of progress in that i'm getting bigger and better jobs that therefore take more time which has been great yeah
0: it's uh yeah i guess that's all everyone's kind of dream is that you get to work on the black panther or the american vandal all
2: year long as opposed to your 20 yeah, various I mean, jobs to- some which are big tony and some is are genuinely small. a great example i bet you know his list is probably the shortest it's been because, you know, he's not doing as many commercials and music videos as he used to because he's making yeah. one giant TV show. Well, cool. So what uh, have you yeah, been working on? Yeah, so lately? I am uh, right in the middle of this uh, job that I realized I probably shouldn't mention because it's it, it's so funny. I think, like, the the more legit the company, the thicker the contract is. And so um, right. anyway, I'm in the middle of that, which has been great. It's like I mentioned, it's a little bit more office oriented than I'm used to. So like I'm on the lot, but I've got like my own little space and I go to meetings in like boardrooms and things like that. And there's an office manager and blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's been really fun. You know, it's probably the most office jobby I will ever have unless I'm like a, a staffer on a TV show. And, you know, I think it's put me back in the headspace of being a person. This isn't a day job. It's like I'll be done practically before this episode has even aired. You know, it's like a seven-week total run. I'm in week three. So, you know. And have you
0: been, like, while you're doing a seven-week job, how much are you
2: working on getting your next job? Exactly. So, yeah. So, this uh, this week in particular... Well, last week in particular, actually, it was kind of the first time where I was like, okay, I've sort of figured out where the Xerox machine is, and I've done a good job, and every everybody knows that, and I've kind of found my footing, which was what my previous focus was, and now um, I'm zeroed in a little bit more, and so I can spend a little bit, the energy that I was spending on learning all of that stuff, I can refocus back onto uh, my side projects and my big projects, basically. So... I've gotten back into the swing of like setting meetings and figuring out when I can take meetings, when that's appropriate. And, you know, like I still, all of the stuff that had been going before this is still, you know, in negotiations or in development or whatever, you know, like I'm writing on a few things and stuff. So, but nothing full time, obviously. Uh, So I think this, this week I'll be traveling. This will be the real test. This is like a a test for myself of like, can I travel and shoot a show and also log a couple hours a day writing the way I want to? And if the answer is yes, then I am unstoppable. And if the answer is no, then maybe I need to rethink uh, the way I'm earning my living right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. So do you have anything lined up for after this job? Uh, I'm up for a thing or two, um, but it's mostly I think that the the things that had been percolating in the beginning of the year are finally kind of locking in. So I think I'll be writing after this job, basically. Oh, cool. On um, a couple of things. So the nice thing is it feels like we're all back in the swing of things for real there's no more Sundance or New Year's or whatever the excuse is South by is coming up soon but I don't think that people get to use it as a hall pass the same way Sundance is
0: well I will say I have a meeting that I'm pretty excited about and the person I'm supposed to meet with was like uh I'm going to South by so can we meet up afterwards
2: yeah yeah but so you're wrong man (laughs) people will always find an excuse to be out of town
0: yeah. Oh, and our friend and multiple past guest, Carlin Hudson, has yeah. a short at South and It yeah, is yeah. about
2: a giant butt. A giant butt, yeah. Um, like an ass. Yeah, so if you live in the greater Los Angeles area and want to borrow a giant butt costume, I think Carlin will hook it up because she was really proud of it. <laughs> yeah, want that was to the biggest expense, right? was creating that butt. Yeah, shout out to Carlin. Um, And uh, Andy Young, frequent um, listener and contributor and great editor, cut it. Yeah, which is awesome. Anyway, before
0: we get into some awesome listener questions that I'm excited to chat about, we are going to talk real quick with our buddy Cameron Woodward at Film Casualty Insurance. He's going to tell us another reason that insurance is interesting.
2: We sat down with our friend Cameron from Film Casualty to talk a little bit more about the ins and outs of insurance and how the fine folks at Film Casualty could help us out.
0: So Cameron, I work in post-production, I'm never on set. That means
3: that I shouldn't have to have insurance at all, right? If you work at all in the film industry, you should probably consider insurance. I know that sounds like petty coming from the guy that sells insurance, but I really mean it. Say that you work in post-production and your files are corrupted and you lost some really important stuff that wasn't backed up, or say your building catches on fire or there's a big flood or something terrible happens, insurance can help make right what went wrong. And the great thing about insurance is that it doesn't have to be super, super expensive. We have insurance solutions that kind of scale for the type of business that you have. So certainly a policy for a production company will be significantly more expensive on average than a post-production facility. But if you're working in the film industry, you should really consider having a policy to protect yourself and to protect the people that you're working with every day. Great.
2: For more information about how to protect your film business, gear, project, and crew, go to filmcasualty.com slash just shoot it. That's filmcasualty.com slash just shoot it. Insurance for every kind of filmmaker. Hey, thanks, Cameron. I love learning more about insurance. Uh, Oren. Yes. Now it's in the time of the show where we read iTunes reviews. Yeah. We, should, we need a
0: jingle for that. iTunes reviews. Uh. Please let us know if you hate us reading iTunes reviews because I can't I can't figure out if this is interesting or not.
2: Here's the thing. We're going to get to this later. I don't mean to spoil it, but uh, one someone who wrote in a question also mentioned in their PS, their postscript, that they also wrote in two script notes and had their name read out loud, and he agreed with me. It feels fucking incredible. So feel free to skip past this. If you haven't written an iTunes review, that's okay. No big deal. Everyone's busy, but if you did, I want to reward you because it's dope. Yeah, if you want to skip this, hit the
0: uh, fast forward by fifteen seconds button. Uh, uh, like we'll probably six have started by times? then. Six times. Okay, J Jack Pro Seven Eleven writes. No joke. Not just writing a good review for iTunes. This is by far my favorite filmmaking podcast. I've been binge listening on my car rides to the studio since I found the podcast. I listen to KCRW, The Business, for film industry news, then listen to Just Shoot It for raw directing insight and creative encouragement. I love that you guys talk about the challenges of working with certain projects and clients and that you share what you're working on on a weekly basis. I'm a director slash creative producer who runs my production company, Jay Jack Productions, out of Cinespace Chicago Film Studios. I've been telling those around me about your podcast. Your guys' work in branded content, commercial and narrative work is reflective of what I do, so your insight and stories are massively beneficial. Yeah, I had to self-promote a little. Your insight has been really encouraging as we rock out pre-production for our current feature film, Hunting God, that we start shooting March 12, 2018, exclamation
2: mark. Whoa. It'll probably, that means you guys will be in uh, production by the time this episode airs. Um, break sure. a leg,
0: bro. Yeah, but don't break anything else. I'm stoked for you. Unless as a you got tour. film casualty insurance. <laughs> Just kidding. Does film casualty work in Chicago? Who I'm, knows? I'm sure they could hook it up. <laughs> um, anyway, he says, it's nice to listen to your podcast before diving into storyboarding slash shot list slash pre-pro stuff. Don't stop as I'm one of many that will continue to listen. P.S. Orrin, I can't believe you endorsed Starbucks during one of the episodes. Sincerely, Justin Jekyll at JJack Productions. Yeah, well, Starbucks is awesome. The Starbucks Reserve, uh, you know, I have my office hours there. <laughs> you ever want to meet me for a cup of coffee, uh,
2: you know where to meet me. Starbucks Reserve in Los Felins. Uh, well, cool, man. G- good luck on uh, your production. It seems great. Uh, you're right. It is insane that Oren endorsed a Starbucks. But more importantly, uh, do you listen to The Business, Oren? Yeah. I've talked about this. Yeah, you I tweeted do. at Kim Masters, and she tweeted Ooh, back. Ooh, Kim Masters
0: is great. Um, She's the host of The Business. Yeah, yeah.
2: That show is great. Yeah, so good... Um, good unintentional endorsement jjack pro yeah it's a good one i think i
0: actually had an endorsement once where i talked about how you can tweet to people that fascinate you and yeah and i used that as an example yeah yeah i think you're right and i tweeted at her um anyway nathan presley says honest helpful five stars it's good okay just listen to it actually i don't even care if you do i'll save it for myself it's all mine move along nothing to see here good one nathan presley thanks nathan Perfect length review
2: Mm -hmm. for the people that don't want to hear reviews. Well, uh, thanks everyone for dropping us a line. It does really help the show grow. Feels great. I recommend you do it. Um, And if not, it's okay too. Um, There's plenty of ways to help the show out, uh, mostly just by listening. So we appreciate it. Yeah. You know, if I had a Kickstarter
0: or an Indiegogo uh, campaign going on right now, I would write a review for Just Shoot It and I would you know, plug my my fun, my crowd funding campaign so that we would say it on the show and maybe it, get a few extra crowdfunders. It might work. You might get a little extra cash. But I guess even though I've suggested it to so
2: many people no one's ever done it I so feel like Orin, a good idea. um you've recommended that so many times. You should just give the the first person who does it ten bucks oh like yeah like donate to their campaign yeah. ten bucks? Right. Okay, I'll do it. So will I. I I mean that was very rude of me to just Pimp you out like that so Yeah so that's 20 bucks donation Total that sounds Wait, pretty How good. about I do 10 bucks to the first uh, person And you do t- 10 bucks to the second person Yeah there you go cool spread the love a little bit Sounds good Um, You know what on that tip actually uh, This is a good time to announce It's very sloppy but whatever Uh, <laughs> I just bought 500 just shoot it Stickers if you leave an iTunes review, uh, this is on the honor system. If you leave an iTunes review and then email us your uh, mailing address, I'll mail you a sticker. And if you've already done it, if you already left an iTunes review, and uh, then uh, just email me and I'll send you a sticker as a thank you gift. Uh, cool. Well, I'm
0: looking forward to seeing if any of this... Gets to anyone that listens to this show. Yo, yeah, well, listen, I did this for Squaresville, and it went great, and was super fun. So yeah, no, I'm I'm
2: I'm genuinely excited. I just you know I get disappointed easily. Mm-hmm. Well, um, don't break Oren's heart. Uh, shoot us an email. I'll send you a sticker. It'll be real fun, and then st- put it on your laptop case or your um, guitar case or your car or uh, anywhere you put a sticker, and uh, take a photo of it, and we'll repost it. That's always fun too oh yeah on instagram yeah little little uh community
0: building this is some real marketing uh branding like corporate stuff i like it. yo
2: i wrote the book on that shit and it's genuinely super fun so i encourage you to do it um yeah it'll be really fun so let's jump into our first question you have the questions up there q's and a's i do uh let's start with our um our voicemail huh
1: Hey, Oren and Matt. So I have two questions. One, our first question is actually for Oren. Maybe you could tell us the origins of Smighty Uh What the hell is that? Because on the first episode, I had no clue what you were saying. I didn't know if that was English or what, but then I had to go to the website and I actually saw what it meant. Anywho, uh, yeah, so tell us, spill it, what's up with Smighty pileg? Uh, and the second question is, I'm a part of the Olympia Film Collective. I'm one, actually one of the founding members. We're a nonprofit. We've been around for five, six, year, six years now. And we're just trying to build or uh, just have um, support for filmmakers in our area who don't come from a large venue. I'm from Olympia, Washington. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm not sure if I said that. Uh, but, you know, if you have any uh, insight or, or how – I stories of, of, of success for collectives or you know just groups who are working together and sort of work out that dynamic so we can have some longevity and success in this uh, in our projects. So anyway, those are your questions. Thanks a lot, guys. Um.
2: Yeah, Jeff. Thanks for the question. I love a voicemail. If you want to leave your own voicemail, give us a call at two six two six shoot one. It is such a cool way to get a lister question, right?
0: Yeah. So that's Jeff Bearhand from Sky Bear Media, based in Olympia, Washington, which is part of his question. His first, The first part of his question, which uh, seemed a little bit like he was just trying to come up with a throwaway question for me, so he could ask a real question to I you. I think
2: he had a genuine question, because it is a little bit of a conundrum. The Smitey Pileg yeah, thing? Yes, so Sp- Smitey Pileg is the name of your Twitter handle, and remind listeners how you came up with the Twitter handle for Smitey Pileg. Right, so I've answered this on the podcast
0: before, but I made a short film, uh, and the main character in that short film was called Smitey Pyleg. The name was, uh, my friend Jennifer Glynn loved the name Pileg, and I think the name Smitey, I think she came up with mm. it, and uh, that was the first kind of short I really invested my time in, and it played festivals, and it made me decide to quit engineering and move to Hollywood. Hey, was
2: that short so, good? So, uh,
0: the premise is really good. I kind of, I kind of, it was inspired by this NPR story I heard, to be totally honest. It was about a guy that like wanted to be a writer and he couldn't get a writing job anywhere except for the local newspaper. He was writing obituaries mm-hmm. um, and he had, and he was pretty good. And this rich guy hired him to write him his obituary. And he wrote this like masterpiece obituary, but the guy was like supposed to die any day. And it like months passed and years passed. and The guy didn't die. And so he, you know, this guy ended up having to kill him in order to get the obituary published. Mm. And that's pretty good. Kind of, kind of dominoes out. He starts like getting hired to write more obituaries and is killing more people. And it's, you know, it's about a serial obituary writer slash murderer. Yeah, that
2: sounds really good. Uh, How much, was this a
0: fictional story that you're cribbing? Uh, Yeah, it was, someone on NPR had mentioned like something about the idea of, an obituary writer only getting their work out into the world when, when their client had died. Yeah. Oh well, that's not cribbing. That's just like a funny fact from the world, right? But it's kind of the what the heart, like what makes it so clever, I guess. Like I stole the clever idea. I didn't steal it, but I, I was inspired by this clever idea and kind of built a narrative around it. It sounds to me like uh, that's just straight up inspiration. Okay, yeah. I'll take it. But it was really fun and it was, I don't know if you remember Alice 102.7 was like a radio station in the Bay Area. No, I listened to KDVS,
2: the the oh, Davis was radio like the, station, which I think is still going and is still quite incredible.
0: Oh, wait, maybe maybe it was called Star. Mm. Was there a Star?
2: Star FM? Sounds yeah, right. Star yeah, Star FM. And that sounds right. They
0: had a film short film contest and so I made it for that. And I did not get into that, but I got into CineQuest. Whoa. <laughs> what
2: are the odds? Whoa. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. Wow. Well. So... Uh, that's yeah. kind of what launched it. And I was very much in the dot-com boom tech industry. Like I had a Gmail account and a Facebook account way before anyone else I know, because, you know, I had a Facebook account where you had to be at, at one specific college to even get on Facebook. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so back then nobody trusted any of the internet, anything. <laughs> so I wasn't going to put my real name on Twitter. Right. Right. So that's why I put Spidey pilot. Like, I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, it seems, sounds like a real name. And it was in, uh, I think it was like 2002 or something. You know, the good old days. Uh, it was a long time. Yeah, ago. yeah. <laughs> You could have gotten that boring
2: anyway. at that time too. Um,
0: probably <laughs>
2: mm, should have thought about that. But no one cared about Twitter. 140 characters. It was like a yeah, joke. How could that be meaningful? I do remember, with some fondness, but mostly annoyance, when when you were at like a, a convention or a festival or something like that, and you wanted to like uh, tweet, you would have to text a phone number. To tweet? Do you remember that? Before there were, like, apps because you didn't have a smartphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, even reading Twitter just to see, like, where parties were and things were, like, it was so, so hard. Anyway, enough of that. Um, The second part of the question is about collectives and, like, if there are any anecdotes or stories of um, different collectives who have kind of helped uh, buoy each other and kind of create something larger than... Um, just a single creator could do And I think certainly there's there's way 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 more than I'm familiar with Or I'm sure you're familiar with But uh, a few kind of come to mind I think that they, certainly in comedy And in the internet There's a long standing history of uh, Troops And people kind of banding together So it's not quite the same As a film collective but like you look at You know the groundlings or national lampoons Are kind of like That's a, a similar version of what you, I think you're trying to Create here jeff but uh you know we i think we brought up waverly films and shinola and the show before music video has a strong collective contingent the daniels it's a team of two um or just daniels i guess they say um so the well this video that i was talking
0: about at the uh during our catch-up section of the show is you know portland-based company and it's like a a few guys that they're they kind of trade off directing, writing, Mm -hmm. producing, shooting. And they are a collective basically that has managed to get pretty big commercial work because of their synergy and they're really comfortable with each other. And you see you see their work and you're kind of jealous of how much fun it looks like they're having just Mm -hmm. making it. They even act in some of their stuff, you know, Sandwich Video, which I think was originally born out of the Bay Area. It's now an L.A. company because they got so much work that they had to move here. But they're another company that was started out making commercials for the industries that were around them, which happened to be a tech tech industries but yeah, I think
2: if you think of a production company as a collective, that is maybe not exactly what you're asking, Jeff, but I think uh, filmmaking is a collaborative medium, so every film is a collective to a certain extent so um but I think what you're asking really is more of like um. Maybe are you or are you familiar with like We Make Movies, or even Channel One Hundred One? Of course, you know yeah. Channel One Hundred One, but like We Make Movies is like a kind of an LA based group. They are kind of like as a team, all kickstarted together, and they kind of trade off the different roles of directing and writing and acting and all of that stuff, and kind of pool their resources to to become a bigger thing. And so, remember I Improv think, Everywhere? Oh yeah, boy, yeah, I think. I've met Charlie Todd a handful of times. Um, that's his group? That's his group, yeah. He was Mr. Improv Everywhere. Oh, cool. Um,
0: yeah. The thing about collectives is, you know, it's, it just you just need a few passionate people that are willing to really invest their time and energy into your projects, or else it's really hard to make it. Uh, my brother, Dean, is in a film collective in San Francisco. They all trade off writing and directing and editing And, you know, sometimes they're flying real fast and other times
2: everyone gets real busy with their day jobs and they're all, like, hating each other. Yeah, the hard thing about a troupe of any sort, I remember at Comedy Central it was always pretty brutal because we would go to a sketch show or something like that or an improv troupe or something, and we all kind of knew there was we were there to see one maybe two people out of the whole group yeah you knew who the star was and that's that didn't never was it like definitively like oh this is the the only person who becomes a success out of this group but you know there's a moment in time for each person and oftentimes it can be hard to be willing to hold the boom pole for the person who just wrote six incredible shorts all in a row and, like, it's hard to really build a, a kind of a truly socialist system where everyone is kind of equally good at each role and excited about doing each role. That can be pretty tricky as well. Right. Um, when I did my movie in Rochester,
0: one of the first things we did is we found their kind of local film club and we went there and, you know, it was kind of just like a regular meeting. They're like, okay, what are the announcements this week? And we went last and we're like, hey, we're here in town, we're shooting a movie. We're looking for crew, we're looking for PAs, we're looking for extras, we're looking for people that want to learn about film, people that know about film, people that, you know, want to hook us up, pretty much. We ended up finding, like, quite a few people to work on the movie through
2: that film collective. But so how many people were in that meeting when you first stood up and said that? Um, Probably, like, 20. Mm -hmm. And how many people regularly worked on your film from that twenty? Um
0: I think we got like 3 PAs and we got our whole BTS crew from there.
2: Oh, that's pretty
0: good. That's pretty but, good. But the guy that what did our BTS he kind of is the BTS guy of Rochester. Mhm. And he he was one of the people that founded this film collective there.
2: Yeah, I mean I think what we're really getting at um in a very slow and circuitous way, circuitous way. Yes, either way. Um is that It's always a great idea to seek out passionate people. Um, And it's okay if some people are hobbyists and some people are lifers, you know. But uh, finding a few really, really motivated people is kind of all it takes. I mean, it
0: kind of just comes down to like, do you want to make this a hobby or a career?
2: Yeah, both are okay. Yeah,
0: and then trying to find people that have the same aspirations that you do. Yeah. So... Well, cool. Well, hopefully we answered a question. Uh, I took everything in my power to not tell you to just move to L.A., so you're welcome. <laughs> hey,
2: you did it. You did it. Hey, if Slater-Kinney can come out of Olympia, so can you, Jeff. Oh, yeah, no, Olympia is awesome,
0: but, you know, if you want to find people that have quit their
2: day jobs to make films full-time, we have a lot of them. Indeed we do. Ooh, this next one is from Tyler Eaton. Tyler writes, hey, Oren and Matt, thanks so much for making Just Shoot It. Since my friend posted a link to your live episode recently, I've been listening to the podcast constantly. Hey, thanks, friend. Um, I've been an office PA in TV for four years, and it's so motivating to hear about what you guys are up to and various strategies for starting a career in the digital space and beyond. I'm constantly writing half-hour pilots on the side and have made three web series in the past couple of years but can't seem to break through to the next level. I work 60 hours a week as a PA and it's great being around famous actors and working on big shows, but an occasional hello in the hallway or picking up their lunch doesn't exactly launch my career. Basically I'm asking, should I quit being a PA and go work at a coffee shop or something? So I have more time to write and shoot things. My main goal is to write comedy for TV, but it seems like shooting my own stuff is the best way to get my writing out there for context. And then he shares a couple of his series. Um, Thanks again for this awesome podcast. I'll leave you all a five-star review. Uh, cool. Tyler, hey, thanks for the question, man. Uh, so glad to hear that you're a new listener and that you're enjoying the, enjoying the show. Um, this is a really great question. I, and uh, I, I think we've heard versions of it before, but the paing part I think is really particular and um, something especially as uh, like being on the lot currently like you really can see you see that hierarchy and you can see the carrot that they're kind of dangling for you and so you know for people who haven't had the job that Tyler is lucky enough to have right now you know uh, you're, you're in a department you're in an environment where there is a clear hierarchy and therefore um, you can aspire to moving to move up that ladder and you can maybe even see a fellow coworker do so You know, so you can become a coordinator or an APOC and then kind of work your way up. The tricky thing about a PA to writer as a transition and as a step up the ladder is that it's not exactly... It's very common that people want to be in a more creative position um, or more traditionally thought of as creative than a pure production position... And so, oftentimes, people get an entry-level job as a PA, and then they're smart, and then they work their way up. And maybe they fall in love with production, or maybe they decide to do something else. Um, but but don't you think being a PA is like the like a writer's PA? He can maybe get a writer's assistant job. You definitely could. The tricky thing is, is that being an office PA or being a set PA and being a writer's PA are three different jobs. It's tough because you know you're there and you're like on the lot and you're doing it and you're watching people make things and like if it's a good crew they know your name and they like you and you know it's a real camaraderie and even though the hours are grueling and it's hard to really express how grueling it is for a PA like those people they work long long hours well so Tyler says he's
0: been a PA for four years yeah I think like the move is yeah to quit your job stay in touch with everyone Tell people that you're focusing on your writing. Like, I can't tell you how many like agents' assistants I know have like quit their jobs as assistants to write, and then later on get ripped by the agency that they were writing for. And the key is to keep that all those connections and that networking mm-hmm. that you've generated as a production assistant, and, and make sure that those people know that you're kind of entering this next phase in your career. That you've kind of learned everything you feel like you're going to learn there and that you are gonna be writing now and hopefully you can share things with them and get feedback and they'll be part of your network i mean who uh dameron right morgan, on morgan podcast, dameron?
2: sure she 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 did this exact thing yeah i i think i may be a tiny bit more cautious in that uh, the ideal situation is that you are in a job like where well, a writer's pa is a good example where like you're writing on weekends and then you can kind of show your stuff to people and then like it becomes clear like oh i'm ready like i've written this stuff i've got my shows people think i'm really great um and there's a little bit of like a you know apprehension of knowing when that right time is but like you can more or less be ready and then you're you quit and then you move on to the next thing relatively quickly i think the thing that makes me nervous is that Tyler and I think the thing he's getting at it's like if you have to quit and like writing jobs aren't going to be so immediate that you don't have to get another job then that creates its own question Should, is it better to work at a coffee shop and have a less stressful less grueling job so that you can write more but then you don't have the uh, connections to show your writing to the people who can help you Along the way, and would profit from your writing, right? That's the trade-off. Yeah, but but he's been here
0: for four years. I'm sure he has a network already of people. And I mean, I guess the mid-middle way is, hey, I worked on all these great shows. Sure, in, in production, you don't know, need to like advertise that it as a PA. Um, and I'm, you know, writing, and I've been really kind of observing that. And I'd love any if any writing gigs come up. I'd love, you know. I think like branded content, digital series, pitching thing like, you know, out of all these connections he's made, he can kind of maybe it like, doesn't have to be a coffee shop job. Maybe he can get a job, a creative job somewhere. But that's a little bit more about him being creative instead of just supporting creative.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that maybe there's a way to leverage the production family that you have into a, a job that maybe... Isn't exactly what you want, but that helps facilitate um, that gig a little bit more. Like some shows, you know, the showrunner is in development and they've got a web series spinoff and they do branded content and things like that. You know, some shows are like their own little cottage industries, and some shows are just focused on making the show and hoping that they get another season. Um, and so right. transferring into a culture where maybe there's a little bit more opportunity is a good half
0: step. Right. I get you don't want to tell anyone to quit their job that's like a good job in Hollywood making money paying rent. All I that guess stuff. I don't want
2: to tell somebody to quit their job to then go get a job that is equally hard and equally unlucrative, but with farther, farther away, away from the, the they business. Want. Yeah, exactly. When you have I I what I know about being a good PA, and it sounds like Tyler, you are. I know that there's a network of people who are there rooting for you, and want to see you succeed and know that this isn't your end goal like there are very few people who are career PAs very very few um
0: and you know he does he does say he's like constantly writing Mm half-hour pilots and has made three web series I mean I think just keep going I'm sure each web series you make Tyler is like better than the previous one and each pilot you write is better than the previous one And just, I think, just keep making that stuff. And it's like, it might seem like when you work so hard on something and spend some money and get people involved and then nothing happens with it, it might seem like it was a waste of time, but it wasn't. You know, whether it plays like big festivals, small festivals, or it's just something you can talk Mm -hmm. to about to people about, like in the way that you talk to us about it, it's like you're
2: building a portfolio of stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it Um, just takes time. And I think I don't want to diminish that it is really hard sometimes if certain people in power don't see you as a creative because they see you as a production person, that's a really hard thing to break out of. And I see really great people who are really good at their jobs and really visionary sometimes have like a limited or myopic view of the people that they work with because it makes things easier or it's complicated or, you know, whatever. Um, so I don't, if you feel like you're in a situation where you're not that production family that you're spending all this time when, with isn't as supportive as you need them to be, I think it's okay to try and move laterally into a different job. So I, I don't want to not acknowledge that, but really I think that the thing that you should be kind of lobbying for is that writer's PA that's, that's the the job where you're still making money. You're still working long hours, but you're in the room. You're watching it happen. Then you're a writer's assistant, and then before you know it, you're you're the person that the showrunner wants to throw a bone. Right,
0: and I think you can be very forthright with that. You know, Talk to the production coordinator, the UPM, the producers, the showrunners if you're comfortable with, it, and let them know that that's what you want to do, and they might even recommend you to a different show if yeah. that spot isn't available on your show.
2: Yeah, and it's also most showrunners, at least the good ones, will be forthright with you about whether or not they want to promote from within. Because there are plenty of shows where they really just want that person to truly be an assistant and to not be the person who's like pitching their jokes on the side or distracted or whatever. That's okay too, but like you need to read the room and know whether or not this is a place that's opportunity and they promote within. And there are plenty of rooms out there like that and those are really wonderful and there are some rooms that are just like hey, the job is bring us our bagels and like type this super fast and be good at proofreading. Right. And one
0: last thing, one point I want to make is that you are with a bunch of kind of powerful people in Hollywood and you see them getting excited about various writers and directors. And I'm sure you're doing this already, but just to mention it again, you can see what is turning them on about various writers and directors and maybe use that knowledge to make things that you know will excite these people. Yeah. Whether it's a production value thing, whether it's a new
2: point of view, whether it's an angle on something. um, Or even to present your current work in that light. That is great advice, Warren. And that's a thing that outside of Hollywood, it's really, really hard to internalize. Like the language that people speak and the way that they present and pitch things and, get people one another excited about things that's its own uh trick of the trade yeah for sure um well cool cool well good luck tyler thanks for writing in tyler uh let us know how it goes let us know if you keep job um or uh when you become a showrunner keep us in mind next up we've got jen my name is jen i'm a filmmaker from portland oregon I'm a big fan of the show, and thanks for putting out informative slash entertaining contents relentlessly. My goal is to direct an indie feature this year and eventually work as a full-time director. I finished one narrative short and am in post on another short. I learned to make films by making short docs and podcasts like yours. Hey, awesome. Thanks, man. I recently launched a portfolio site showcasing my work, and I'm I'm looking to move to L.A. some point at the end of this year to work as a production crew and editor. I don't have any connections in L.A. yet could you take a look at my site and share some advice thoughts, anything from how to improve my skill set to how to connect with commercial producers in LA would be gratefully helpful. Here's my reel. Thanks for your time. And, uh, I look forward to the next episode of just shoot it. Basically Jin's question
0: is you told me to move to LA. Now what do I do? Now what do I don't I have do? any connections.
2: Yeah. Oh boy. Take a UCB class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, moving here and, um, getting into the mix and like volunteering your skills i think kind of all the stuff that we talk about on the show regularly Jin, i did just hop onto your website though and at the top it says uh, some people say you shouldn't make a director's reel but i needed one for a film grant submission so here it is it was good to see what i've been making with my trusted collaborators so Jin, i would say I think the some people you're referring to is perhaps Oren and I. I don't want to be presumptuous, <laughs> but that seems like a safe bet as a, we know you listen to the show and we've been vocal about whether or not we think that they're worthwhile. Um, I would say if you're going to put something up on your website, even if somebody like us or any other podcast or film writing book or your friend from film school doesn't think it's a good idea. If you have decided you want to put it on your website or your resume or you're gonna bring it up in a meeting or whatever, I'd say stick it. You know, don't um don't back down from the idea. Just say, hey, this is my director's reel and I think it's great. And uh let that be that.
0: Yeah, agreed. Uh even though I am right now working on a reel where I talk about how the reel might not be necessary. (laughs) I do think Look, I I think director's reels definitely serve a really good purpose, especially when you're starting out because it does show like, hey, this person has done commercials and features and shorts and has worked on all these different things. Like they haven't just made like one Vine video and now they're trying to get a job. So I think there's a certain level of work where the reel is really helpful to just kind of prove prove, to people that you've done a lot of stuff. Um, I think there's a certain range after that where – It's less about how much you've done and more about have you made anything that really resonated with a lot of people, you know, that either went viral in an interesting way or showcased a really unique point of view or was critically acclaimed or won Sundance or whatever. And that that's at that level. That's when the real becomes less important. Like you could have just directed Whiplash and nothing else. And that will get you.
2: A better job yeah. than someone that's directed a thousand commercials. Damien Chazelle doesn't need a thousand commercials. He needs one Whiplash and one La La Land. I just want to take this opportunity um, to remind people, and we should do this more often, but you and I are just two jerks who bought microphones. <laughs> right. You know, I, it's wonderful. Like, I think that we've learned a few good things, but we are wrong all the time on this podcast. And I want to. Apologized about that we disagree all the time so t- just take everything that we say with a giant salt lick of salt my point is Jin. um i would say if you if you feel like a reel is the right thing for you or if for instance you needed it for a film grant and you're proud of it you don't need to pull your punches put it on the front page of your website Show, show me I'm wrong. I'd lo- I' genuinely I would really love it if you got a ton of jobs from this. that would be so awesome. So that's my first piece of advice. It looks like we've got a lot of cool stuff. Um, so I would say when you move to LA or even back in Portland, Portland's got a great scene as well. Um, and they do a lot of great there's a lot of great commercial work up there. Um, just to continue to uh, build your your network, work with people contribute your looks like you've got some awesome skills that people would love to collaborate with you on just build that community that seems to be the thing that is the most helpful for people when they move out to LA and so maybe you know even if that's just emotional support or people can you can work remotely if you need to sometimes you know we've seen we talked about Andy Young I think he was still editing jobs back home for Texas companies even though he moved to LA when he first got here Uh, So I would encourage you to kind of build up that network while you're still in Oregon as well. And all of those relationships, whether they literally translate to more work for you or even if it's just like experience under your belt before you move to L.A., I think all of that stuff will be worthwhile.
0: Yeah. And when you move here, if you don't know anyone, go on Craigslist, work for free on some stuff, take some classes at UCB or Santa Monica College or L.A. Film School, wherever you can find a class. Writing class, sketch class, whatever you're most comfortable doing,
2: and then just keep making stuff. It's hard to impress on people who don't make money necessarily or don't make as much money as they deserve on film. It's hard to to feel special or to feel interesting or or desirable when uh, you say we say, hey, if you just say that you'll do this thing for free you'll you'll meet people that way that that seems impossible because you've always been doing it for free so why does that feel special but the thing about any major market whether it's la or new york or london or whatever is that we need we need more people to help us Mm -hmm. and so if you're willing to do something for free word's going to get out and you do good work people are going to be excited about that and that is the fastest way to get into a community and to be introduced to people
0: Right. And also meeting the new people that just moved to LA that are going to be on this journey with you. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. So Scott Forrest writes, uh, Hey guys, I'm writing a character driven neo noir mystery web series I intend to make in Edinburgh this year. Uh, I'm Scottish and not planning to, and not planning a move to LA anytime soon. I know you've both got experience working on web series with varying budgets. And I wondered what your thoughts were about the medium in general, how it's changed and what realistic goals are with one as opposed to shorts and features. I've made a few shorts and want to gain more experience and experiment a little with this instead of jumping into my first feature. I wasn't keen on web series when I first started out, but I'm very excited to tell an ongoing story and go deeper than a short without the financial and logistical demands of a feature. Thanks. P.S. Matt, I recently had my question read out on script notes, and it felt amazing. And then he sent us his showreel. You guys, are raising the roof right now.
2: Yeah. I I feel you, man.
0: It feels so good. The gist of of Scott's question is... What do we think about web series? And, you know, I'm like really torn on them. I think uh, there are a lot of really great web series. I think the idea that a web series doesn't require as much money as a feature or a short is doesn't seem right to me. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, that, that was the wrinkle for me as well. First of all, I think you and I both are... Uh, products of web series right like I may be more in like the series quote unquote web series I was really like that was the thing that made my career whereas I feel like you did a lot of work some of which was web series but others that's accurate to say right that your your early career was more varied um I
0: mean I would say web series was you know I did a, two web series for sure. I did a web series for Adam film and then Three for Super Deluxe, and then I got my job at Disney doing web series. For I them. guess that's true. Yeah, so web web but, series made both of our careers. Yeah, but when I was at Disney, which was a long time ago, now we kind of realized the web series had a real strong fan base, but the one-off viral videos were what were getting us like the millions of views mm-hmm. and free press, and were much cheaper to make than the web series. We were making these kind of high production value web series and these super cheap. Um, you know, viral videos like a video where all our fathers are reenacting famous scenes from various movies cost us nothing. We shot it on a green screen and got like 10 times more views than our entire web right, series right. because we put it out on father's day. So uh, yes, we, I, I think we've both done a ton of web series and we've done the multi-million dollar ones and we've done the super low
2: budget ones and, and the crowdfunded yeah. ones and the out of pocket film school ones and kind of everything in between. Right. And so,
0: you know, it's like anything, if you make a good web series, it's good. Um, but they are, it, it is still a tricky medium. You know, I don't think it's hard for us to name one that like was a real smash hit beyond like a high maintenance or a drunk history. Or Broad City. Yeah. Right?
2: Yeah, but Broad City was a hit TV show. It wasn't a hit web series.
0: So I so I guess if I were to make a web series now from scratch, I would kind of try to really have a very strong point of view, really make it about me, not worry about the virality of it, like not worry about how many people it appeals to or who I'm polarizing or whatever. I would just really try to find like a world that is like fascinating for me to explore and Trying to make it
2: like an HBO show, you know? I, you know, I think uh, I think, I totally agree with basically all of that. I think that um, it is misleading to think that it is easier than a feature. It's kind of just like making a feature in slow motion, which sort of is great, right? Like, with Squaresville, we shot Long Weekends, and so... I had a full week of time to think through everything that I did right and everything that I did wrong uh, in between shooting. And so I got better at it. Um, and being able to iterate and like recoup a little bit in between episodes can be really valuable for some people, especially when they're kind of like figuring things out. It also teaches you a lot about uh, episodic story structure, which is can be very different from. Um, you know more narrative or more uh, feature-based story structure you know it's more uh, episodic it's more uh, condensed you know there's a lot of stuff to be thinking about Um, that being said you know you're you're making a trade-off you're because you're doing things in slow motion the credibility of having made a feature you don't get you know there's still stigma behind a web series and so Yeah, that's why we call them digital series. Sounds way better. Yeah, but genuinely, though, that we are kind of like still grappling with what to call it and trying to be taken seriously, Um, that's just evidence right there that it's not the same as making a low-budget
1: feature.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Matt. Do you think if you are making a new web series, you're kind of getting started and you're trying to make a name for yourself, how much time do you spend watching other web series that are out there, seeing what exists and differentiating yourself from that. Do you think that's important or do you think don't worry about that
2: at all? Just like write what your heart tells you, tell the story you want to tell. I think no matter what you're making, you're going to be compared to mainstream media. If you wrote a project that was about a uh, New York slice of life pot dealer who rode around on a bicycle and gave different, Funny characters, weed, and he had a big beard. If that was a feature, it'd be compared to high maintenance. If it was a TV show, it'd be compared to high maintenance. And if it was a thirty seconds commercial spot, it'd be compared to high maintenance,
0: right? Right. But I, I think I'm asking a different question oh. that's much less specific. I'm saying like, how many web series have you seen about broke actors in LA having mm. funny? Sure, sure, moments? sure.
2: I would say I've seen uh, a bazillion, and <laughs> right. also I've seen like on the same tip like uh the drug uh, dealer I, bad deal good innocent kid goes wrong and ends up in
0: like a mafia world like
2: we've seen that i was gonna say i've 10, seen i've seen times you know semi-improvised a bunch of actors come home for a long weekend and reconnect with each other basically the big chill but without a dead person <laughs> right um A million times as well and like right everyone in one apartment talking about how they don't have any money and that can be a feature or that can be a, a you know 12 episode web series and you know i go back to workaholics as my example like just me and my funny friends getting stoned sounds like a fucking terrible pitch until it's workaholics
0: right but i'll tell you why workaholics is works uh compared to all those other things is because Everyone says kind of write what you know, write about yourself, write about your life. And all the people that are trying to break into this business are you know, a few people that are living in an apartment and they're either actors or writers or directors and they don't have a lot of money and they're struggling and they're writing about the funny things that happen to them. But they're living a really similar life to what so many other people that are making web series are living. Workahol- None of those people are writing about working in an office and having that be their full-time yeah. job. And that's where workaholics was like, hey, most of America is not sitting on their couch on a Wednesday afternoon trying to figure out what movie to watch or what how they're going to pay for dinner. Most
2: of America is like in an office doing yeah, this funny stuff. Yeah, but even before that, even before that, they were still like, I mean, literally, the workaholics dudes all met at Santa Monica City College. So that's relevant in that, that they work stone board dudes in Southern California in LA who managed to make it work. So I get
0: right. But they set their show in an office and the always sunny in Philadelphia guys who originally set their show in Los Angeles uh, as out of work actors were told by the, some genius development people like, Hey, let's not make this show about out of work actors in Los Angeles. Let's make it about bar owners, which is why
2: they're, out and about during the day, and let's set it in a different. I think your, what's your your point of view and what you have to say doesn't necessarily have to be about what your profession is. You're right; it's there's so many shows about out of work actors that like it makes it much much harder to be good and to stand out. Um, that being said, I think it's about point of view more than anything else, and about uh, voice and those guys. Both, it's always sunny and workaholics. Those are always great examples of like, kind of you know, generic funny straight white guys who somehow managed to transcend being so bland and boring into being something really interesting and funny. Yeah, and by the way, they did it at a time where straight white guys
0: were what everyone was (laughs) most excited about hiring. Right?
2: It's not like yeah, but that that shows. However, freshness was always still was still a priority. And we had seen plenty of ve- genuinely funny, straight white guys who didn't get their own TV shows because they weren't fresh.
0: Right. I guess, you know, I, I don't know. I think we're agreeing here. But what I'm saying is if you if you are going to make a web show, it doesn't matter if you're doing it in Ireland or in L.A. or in Zimbabwe, like, make make sure it's saying something that is uniquely you Because uh, all these things, web shows, features, and shorts, all have a hard time breaking through to people. But uh, the nature of a web show, that it requires that people come back for the next episode and the next episode and the next episode, but you don't have the budget of a Game of Thrones or a House of Cards, you you really need to do something special, I think, uh, nowadays to make a web show stick out, which is very different than when you and I started. Because we could, I literally, my breakout show was called I Hate My Roommates about a girl that hates her roommates like uh, that show does not fly now because it's been done 10 billion times but at the time no one had made a show
2: about a girl that murders her roommates yeah yeah uh, finding your audience is going to be a challenge no matter what so um, that's the other part of the job besides just making a great show is like figuring out who is going to connect with it and then getting it into their hands and so that's Something where a web show is, in a sense, easier than a movie because, you know, marketing a, a free thing to a person who has 10 minutes on their hands is easier than marketing a thing that's, you know, cost 10 bucks and an hour and a half of their time. Um, but people are, again, because of the stigma, they're a little uh, dubious of watching a web series. So just make it great. Make it compelling, make it special, <laughs> all of the hardest things. Um, but we can't wait to see it. Yeah. No. And
0: I hope I'm n- not coming off as too cynical. No, I just, no. Uh, in my opinions about web shows, I think there very much is space for them, but they have to be good. Yeah. Here's to that. In the same way that a feature or short has to be good. Like they're not any easier than any of the other mediums nowadays. Yeah.
2: I, you know, when people talk about making a web series, I always ask them to name a web series they love. Right. And like, if they can't, I encourage them to rethink things a little bit because I bet you can name a movie that you really love. I bet you can name a book you really love. I bet you can a song and a TV show that you really love, that changed your life, that made you want to make media. Um, and that's right. also a comment on like the quality of web series out there, but... You know, I wouldn't try and write a book without loving a couple of them first. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. For once, Matt finally, makes I a did good it. Point. Well, on that note, let's endorse some stuff. Unpaid endorsements. So I've got two videos that I'm so stoked on. You're going to love both of them. One, uh, I already sent you, and it's great. Uh, so, The Lonely Island, they were going to do, um, they pitched a, a funny song for the Oscars that was just last night um, that they did a pretty great like um, animatic for, recorded some temp vocals and stuff about why um, why blockbuster movies aren't nominated for the Oscars. That's really great. We'll share it. Uh, it's really fun. I love Lonely Island. I'm like a nerd like that. But the other thing that's interesting for everyone is that... Um, it kind of this is a video that wasn't made that you know in the the pre-roll that kind of talk about how it would have been way too expensive to actually make and so the Oscars said no but um assuming this is real I think it probably is um it goes to show how much work and resources and time um, proven people people who've won Emmys and FTV shows and movies go into pitching and presenting ideas to, uh, different companies so like they do like a full launch, photoshopped animatic that's pretty awesome right um, and the name of the video is oscar song demo why not me
0: question mark there you go yeah which we'll post on the site but yeah it's a it's a really good example of like if you're pitching a funny music video to someone this is what you're up against <laughs> yeah so you know go the I, i've found a lot through the, in the commercial world that people really appreciate when you take that extra step to show them what something looks like or
2: sounds like or feels like. So remember that when you're pitching stuff. So my second endorsement or you're going to love it. Have you seen the video by Clickhole, the Clickhole video, The Geometry of Emotion, how Paul Thomas Anderson uses hot dog shapes in his films to create <laughs> mood? No, I have not. I retweeted it from the Just Shoot It Twitter account. Um, but it's worth talking about a little bit more. Clickhole as i've talked about many times is it they're the funniest best they're so good at skewering internet culture and they finally take a aim at our very favorite meme or form of communication the video essay and they do a pitch perfect video about how paul thomas anderson uses hot dog shapes in his films to create mood and it is <laughs> so funny and so stupid Uh, And they nail the timbre and cadence Of the narration behind video essays It's pitch perfect And also like exactly what I would like It was like it was made for for me But Paul Thomas Anderson hot dog joke Video essay parody Good night everybody So uh, we'll have that in the show notes as well The geometry of emotion How Paul Thomas Anderson uses hot dog shapes In his films to create mood Cool. Yeah, I'm kind of
0: watching it without sound right now. It looks pretty hilarious. It's so good. Slash something like that you would like.
2: <laughs>
0: My endorsement is this Netflix show. It's called Everything Sucks. It's uh, created by a guy I know,
2: Mike Mohan. Oh, cool. Do you know, Mike? Um, You know, now that you say his name out loud, it sounds familiar, but I don't know him. I don't think. He We uh, used to work at the Sundance
0: lab he used to he started out reading scripts for the lab that were applied and then he became Michelle what's her name's uh like the woman that ran the screenwriting lab hmm. uh he became her assistant and he just read a million scripts and then he got really involved in Sundance and then he made a movie called one too many mornings which was one of the first films in the next program oh that cool Sundance started Great. and the next program was when Sundance was like hey we have way too many giant movie star films like let's make a program that's just for films that are made for under five hundred thousand dollars and that was the next program and he had basically the first movie there so he's been making indie films forever he's also a commercial director he also directed things for sandwich video oh cool uh but he made this show called everything sucks and to be honest like my initial impression of it and i wouldn't be surprised if everyone's is is that it. It just seemed like a little derivative of every show you've seen. It's about these three kids in high school in the 90s, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of their relationship issues. And so it's kind of like Stranger Things minus the supernatural
2: part. It's like Freaks and Geeks. uh, Yeah. Minus being Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. It looked like Freaks and Geeks, but with ska, which when I say that out loud, sounds great, actually. Right. But I watched it because I'm friends with Mike and uh,
0: the other guy that created it with him is uh Ben Duncan Jones. Hmm. He's an editor slash actor. He had a movie at Sundance also. He like has worked with Drake DeRamis on a bunch of films. Anyway, I watched it and it is like really good and I can't really even tell you why. It's just like execution is perfect. The casting is great. The storylines are engaging. The relationships are interesting. It's I did grow up, you know, my I became I was a teenager in the 90s. So every reference, like they go to like a Tori Amos concert and they listen to Ace of Bass and Oasis. And, you know, one of the kids is always saying like, Faux shizzle my nizzle and like, uh, you know, making Beavis and Butthead impressions. And like, it's just everything in that show is memorable to me. And it just makes me smile. There's this one scene where these two girls are talking and one of them takes out her caropey or whatever. Sure, uh, oh. What are those things called? The little digital oh, pet? Tamagotchi. Tamagotchi. Yeah. And they don't even reference it. She just takes it out, feeds it and puts it back in her pocket, you know? So it's like, it's not, it. it it's very noticeable, but it's not like overly proud of itself mm-hmm. for making all those references. Um, And it's just the, it's just genuinely like fun to watch. I watched, I think most of the season in one night, and then I watch like the remaining three episodes, like over the next three nights. It's you know, you know how there's like you could either watch Curb Your Enthusiasm or The Darkest Hour. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and which one are you gonna watch when you're like tired?
2: Man, tell me about it. I'm almost done with the new season of Queer Eye for that exact reason. <laughs> yeah, it's just so fun to watch. Hey, are you so watching Everything that show? sucks. No, Dude, is that on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Also? Netflix. It's great. It's like genuinely great. Cool. Yeah, I can't commit to anything over thirty minutes. It (laughs) is weirdly long, but um, but it's that same sort of popcorn factor of just like I can start one, I can pause it halfway through, and it's not. I'm not going to lose momentum or forget who's getting made over anyway. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was. I am interested because before this show came out, I was like, they would never make like queer eye for the straight guy nowadays. (laughs) It just seems like such an insane idea, and then they, they did. And it's weirdly, like, relevant and interesting and pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the sensitivity and point of view is mm-hmm. different than the original. Yeah, definitely. Which was like, I feel like the original was like, "We're gay, it's crazy." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and now
2: it's like, yeah, we're gay. What's the you deal? like miss a little bit of it. Like you want it to be a little bit more fun, <laughs> right? It's like, well, yeah. I don't want to just like watch like five un- entertaining people. You know what I mean? Like I want them to like, like is throw it, some energy is anyone from it. the original cast. No. In no. It? Oh. Yeah. So, but there's like some breakouts that are really great. I'm sure they'll get another season. It's genuinely cool. great. And the casting on the, um, on the people that they're making over is very good. Finally, straight
0: guys get a chance <laughs> in Hollywood. Um, cool. Cool. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for the endorsements. Uh, hopefully, our answers were helpful. Please send us more questions if you can. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Of course, we love voicemails at 1262 shoot1. You can tweet at us, send us something on Instagram, join our Facebook group. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. And if you want to see what I'm up to, you can. Just Google my name, Oren Kaplan. Uh, you can try to follow me on Twitter. I'm at
2: Pileg Hopefully I'll tweet at some point. Uh, you can follow me at Mr. Matt low uh, Follow the Instagram for the show at Just Shoot It Pod. This episode was edited by Jamie Cullough. And our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And our music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. I think that's all she wrote. See you later.
1: Bye.